Welcome to the Group Practice Exchange Podcast, a podcast for psychotherapy group practice owners. I'm your host, Maureen Warbach. Hey everyone, on today's podcast, I have Rob Reinhardt on, and he is a group practice owner in North Carolina, as well as the owner of Tame Your Practice, which I'm sure most of you know about. Hey, Rob. Hey, Maureen. Thanks for having me. Thank you. I'm excited to talk to you today about technology as for group practice owners. Yeah, yeah. I always love to talk about technology. I've been involved in technology my whole life, pretty much. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about your journey to, you know, being a group practice owner, as well as how that came to be with uh, Tame Your Practice and what you do with that. Yeah, the the super short version is, uh, you know, I've been in involved in technology from a very young age because my mom uh, worked for Honeywell on the space shuttle program and she would bring home technology. So I've always been steeped in that. And I always know since high school that I wanted to do therapy or counseling, be a therapist. Uh, So I had a stint as a IT person. I did software development. And then eventually I decided, hey, you know what? I'm ready to do this counseling thing and went back to school, got my degree, uh, got into a practice uh, started looking for an EHR because I'm a technology guy. I want to do things efficiently uh, and and not have all this paper. And ended up researching every EHR and practice management system that was out there at the time. This was several years ago. And realized I had this big pile of information that I should probably share. And that's what led to Tame Your Practice. I posted all the reviews and it kind of turned into a thing where people would find my reviews and I'd help them identify which EHR was a good fit for them, and it's gone from there. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't realize that the EHR review page was what started it all. Yeah, and that's still to this day how most people uh, end up finding me is through that the EHR reviews. Yep, that's how I found you, and that's how I made the decision on which EHR I was going to use um, when, I, when I morphed into a group practice. So it was gave invaluable information to me uh, at the time, and I know... Um, it's on my resources page because I feel like it's seriously the most detailed explanation of the different EHRs that are out there. So That's great. Uh, yeah, it makes me feel good to know people are getting value out of that. Yes, totally. So I'll also post uh, your site and that specific EHR review page on uh, the show notes for anyone that doesn't know about this. But I'm pretty sure that most everyone who's going to be listening to this already knows you and knows about your EHR page, but I'll post it down there just in case. All right, so I'm going to start with my first question, which is, in what ways can group practice owners optimize their practice when it comes to technology, especially when it comes to like uh, multiple locations and having multiple providers? Yeah, so... I see lots of questions on on forums online and and other places. I think the best number one thing people can do to optimize their use of technology uh, is to start from a different perspective. I see so many people uh, say, hey, what's the best tool for this? Mm -hmm. What's the best EHR? And what's the best uh, telemental health tool? And I think that's the wrong perspective to come at. I think it's important to ask other people what their experiences are. And certainly you want to use a tool that where people say the customer service is good and, and, and the quality of service is good. But I think the place to start 
uh, in optimizing things is what you want your practice to look like. Having a clear vision of where your practice is now, where you'd like it to be in three, four, five years, and then start to look for the technology that's going to fit that. What's the technology that's going to help you get there? What's the technology that's going to work in sync with what your goals are? Because what your goals are may be completely different from somebody else's. Yeah, and I see that question, I agree, is out there at least five or six times a day. And I'm guilty of it too. When I sent you some of the questions that I wanted to ask, one of them was, which is your favorite EHR? And you had said it's probably not you know, the best question to ask. And that obviously makes sense now as you talk about it is, you know, well, what's best for one in one area is not going to be the best for another group practice owner. Exactly. And my favorite, you know, my standard answer to that, what's your, you know, what's the best EHR question is the one that works for you and your practice. <laughs> I'm sure that's a frustrating answer for people that don't know where they should go. <laughs> well, and the further explanation is, you know, a simplified example, you've got uh, practice A uh, that doesn't take insurance, uh, and they, they still like to have people fill out paper forms. And then you've got practice B that does, uh, they are in network with insurance. And they really like this idea of a client portal where clients can come and complete all their paperwork online. Those two practices are going to use entirely different systems. If right. they're getting one that really matches their practice. Right. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, w- going on that, I feel like, What's your opinion or how do you, when someone asks you that question, which you can't really give an answer to, do you have any sort of cheat sheet or um, list of questions that people should be asking themselves? Because I think a lot of the problem is is that, especially for group practice owners, because I feel like that's a lot of times when people sh- either they weren't using an EHR when they were solo and as a group, it, it's nearly impossible to not have an EHR if you're a group practice. Right. Um, mm-hmm. and so either they're shifting from going, starting to use an EHR or they realize what they needed when they were solo is different when their group, you know, like uh, just not even a year ago, simple practice didn't have the group practice feature. So I guess if you were right. using simple practice at the time, that would have been hard to do shifting over to group. But mm-hmm. um, is there any sort of because I think one of the things is that people don't know what they don't know. And so then they don't know what they need until they don't have it. <laughs> you know, um, I guess my question is, do you have any sort of cheat sheet or list of questions that you would have people ask themselves to help them better decide what they actually need from an EHR? Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you bring that up. And I think this this conversation may spur me to to do something that's been on my to-do list for a while. So what exists now is I do have, a, in addition to the reviews on my website, I've got a series of articles that talks about, hey, these are the different aspects of an EHR slash practice management system and what kind of features you might want to look for. Uh, so someone could kind of build a mental checklist from reading through that series of articles. There's not a physical checklist where they could go down each, but you can read about the client portal and insurance features and notes features and what are the things to look for. So there is that. Okay. I'll link, uh, I'll link to that as well. If you can, um, I'll send you an email maybe later as a reminder, but to tell me where that's at, cause I can also link sure. to those. Yeah. And, and then there's a checklist. I do have people fill out when they do my feature match service. I do help people, you know, who are looking and are overwhelmed by this big list of EHRs uh, and want some help figuring it out, I do have a checklist 
that I have them fill out where they prioritize, hey, which of these features are most important to you? And that's how we drill down to it. But one of the things that's long been on my to-do list is kind of a helpful uh, cheat sheet for people to, uh, that kind of goes along with that first set of articles I mentioned. And I might have to go forward with making that happen. Yes, I think you do. Add another thing to your to-do list, which I'm sure is long. (laughs) Exactly. Um, I just have to add a couple hours to the day. Right, right. I feel the same way uh, when it comes to work. There's, I have so many ideas and not enough time to to get them all done. So it really comes down to scheduling that time in. That's right. Or perfecting cloning. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Uh Um, So going off of ways of optimizing. Um, technology when you're a group practice owner, do you see any common mistakes that people do make when they are trying to, especially when it comes to group practice owners, because, you know, that's essentially the type of people that will be listening to this, is, you know, what kind of mistakes do you see people making when it comes to technology of any sort, whether it's EHRs or phones or texting and, um, you know, with multiple clinicians or having multiple locations? Yeah, I, I I could name a few different mistakes. One certainly goes back to that idea of, you know, not thinking through all the aspects of implementing the technology before picking. You know, if you go out and just, hey, just 10 people told me this piece of software is great. I'm just going to start using it. So yep. diving into technology without fully looking at, is it a good fit for us now? Is it going to be a good fit for us in five years? Um you know, another mistake I see, and, and I'm a proponent of being thrifty, uh, but there seems to be a strong focus at times for people to do things on the cheap no matter what. Uh, and certainly there's some excellent services you can get out there that are pretty inexpensive, and that's great. But there are times where I see people uh, just go for the cheapest option without examining the other factors like uh, security and HIPAA compliance and whether it's a good fit for them. So I definitely encourage people to be thrifty and, and use that as part of their analysis. Uh, but it shouldn't be the, the always be the priority decision point. Yeah, I see that a lot also in the groups is the dialogue kind of on both ends of the spectrum with people being hyper fearful of being HIPAA compliant and, you know, all of that to mm-hmm. others who are, you know, overly lax on the idea and, um, you know, then maybe skimp on some of the, uh, important features that they, you know, may, need to make sure that they have, especially when you have a group practice, cause you have multiple people that, you know, when it's, when you're just solo and you, you know, are texting a client, let's say, um, it's just, it, it's much less likely that you're going to get in trouble for anything like that versus when you have, you know, like me, almost 20 therapists, if all of them are engaged, the likelihood of, of us, you know, really getting in trouble just, you know, expands. And so I think, right. especially right. as a group practice owner, you have to not just be thinking about yourself. Um, I know way back, uh, not way back, but a couple of years ago, I, ju- I didn't want to spend money on um, HIPAA compliant emailing. We had a G Suite, so between us, but I told everyone, just don't email clients. If they email you, um, call them back. Um, just please don't, you know, email clients. And there's no way, unless if I go into the G Suite account and look at everyone, what who they're emailing and when, which I didn't want to do, it's very unlikely that everyone will follow through on that because people won't, yeah. you know, the clinicians aren't going to want, if they get an email, they're not going to want to 
call back if it's on their day off. They'll rather send a quick email back. So it's much less, um, you have much less control. And so, you know, for me, I, I ended up going with Virtue for the uh, emailing, you know, with clients. And right. it just is a sense of safety versus saying, don't do it because there's, you know, it's very likely that they're not going to follow through. Yeah, it's kind of like telling clients not to text you. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's not going to happen. No. Yeah, well, it is going to happen. They are going to text you. Right. Well, and I, and I understand the mentality. The vast majority of us that come into this field, we just want to help people. We just want to go in there and do the therapy. Yeah. You know, we don't want to have to deal with insurance and taking the notes. And, right. you know, that's all extraneous stuff. And we want that to take up as little time as possible. Uh, but if you can do some legwork up front and put things into place, you probably don't even think twice about virtue anymore. No. You know, you just had to take the time to do the upfront effort of doing the research, finding out what was going to work for your group. And once it's in place, it's kind of does what it does. Totally. I mean, it's literally the click of the V button on the top right corner of our email if you want to, you know, make it secure or not. So it's, it's right. n- no extra work. Um, so going, jumping off of that, I'm sure you hear this a lot because this is kind of your area, but also just with being in the different, uh, Facebook groups, I feel like I see this so often, but it's the, the idea of being HIPAA compliant when you're a group practice owner, whether Mm -hmm. it comes to EHR or texting or emailing, I see a ton of questions about this and it's not, um, something I ever feel comfortable giving my opinion on. I come more from a place of safety is better. So I, when I learn that um, there's an area where I can be more compliant, I just, you know, purchase that packet like virtual or whatever. Um, so I guess when we look at HIPAA, I, there's so many people that are from a place of fear with that. And sure. I guess I wanted to get your, either your opinion or thoughts that you have on HIPAA compliance when you're a group practice owner? Yeah, so I think a lot of the fear comes from, well, first of all, it, it's this other thing that people don't want to have to deal with because it has doesn't have a lot to do with our work right. uh, other than keeping people's information secure and private. Uh, but part of the challenge is uh, unlike some other things, there there is no easy package for HIPAA. HIPAA was built to be scalable, meaning it, it needed to work for a giant hospital. Uh, it also needed to work for a solo practitioner. Mm-hmm. And because of that, a lot of the rules aren't laid out in stone. Uh, and that's complicated by the fact that technology is constantly evolving. Uh, you know, regularly having new technologies and improved technologies. And so that's another reason HIPAA had to be written to be flexible. Uh, and so when we're faced with this thing that we have to deal with and we don't want to take the time to deal with it, we'd like to just have a nice concrete answer. Just tell me what I need to do so I can be HIPAA compliant. Uh, and that answer isn't there. And I think that's a big source of the fear, uh, you know, that which we don't know. Right. But in the end, it comes down to a, a fairly simple analysis uh, where you have to look at the use of the technology. And this is only where you're dealing with protected health information. So information about your clients and how they're connected to their services you're providing. But anywhere that that, that protected health information is involved, you have to look at, okay, what are we doing to protect it? What are the administrative, technical, and physical safeguards that we're using uh, to protect that data? So can you give some examples of that? Because I, I, that was one of my questions was going to... Um have you 
go into a little more detail of what that means administrative, mm-hmm. technically and physically, because I, I'm sure, you know, there's some areas that I don't, I'm not even thinking about as well. I think of the obvious, like, you know, texting clients, emailing clients, having EHR that's uh, safe and facts and all that. But um, can, can you go through those three categories and give some examples, maybe uh, how we as group practice yeah. owners might be? Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. And one of the analogies I use, especially when I do workshops and presentations, is that we all are actually already security experts. Really? Uh, Maybe not technology security experts, but security experts. For example, what do you do to protect the privacy of your clients when they're in your office, Maureen? Close the door. Yeah. So that's an example of a physical safeguard right there. Sure. Uh, you might, you know, some people use a sound machine. Yep. I have mine on. Uh, things like that. So we're especially astute, uh, at physical safeguards. Okay. You know, closing the doors, using sound machines, those sorts of things. Okay. Um, you probably, you're in a group practice. You probably have some in- administrative safeguards as well. You know, rules about, you know, administrative is about policies and procedures. What are our rules for sharing information about clients in this office? Mm-hmm. So that goes for technology as well. Hey, do we have rules about how often we have to change passwords and how strong those passwords have to be? Uh, Do we have rules about what client information the billing staff, the administrative staff can access versus the clinical staff? Which some of those questions get answered if you're using EHR too. Right. So some of the, and again, you know, that takes me back to the, that point earlier about you need to know what you want your practice to look like to choose the right EHR. If you want a certain permission structure, hey, I want the billers to be able to access this information and the clinicians to be able to access this information, you've got to make sure your EHR allows for that permission structure. Right. So, uh, you know, technical safeguards gets into, uh, you know, the the part that's probably the mo- most complex. I was just going to say that. Clinicians. Yeah. But the great thing about using third-party software like EHRs is you're kind of handling it off, a good bit of it off to them. So technical safeguards, you're talking about, you know, are you using encryption both in transit and at rest? Do you have backups? What are all the things you're doing to protect, you know, the digital data? And so when you're using a third-party vendor and you have that business associate agreement, that's the agreement that says, hey, they're complying with HIPAA also. They're doing all the things they need to do on their end to make sure uh, that you're both in compliance. And so you're able to hand a lot of that off to that vendor. You still have to make sure you're using strong passwords and securing things like your your internet network in your office. You know, are you using this public open Wi-Fi right. or are you making sure you have a secure internet uh, service? Yeah, and credit cards too, right? That was something I never even thought of, but um, what credit card processing company you use, right? Well, Is there something credit- important with that? Well, credit cards are a tricky area because financial transactions are are, are exempt from HIPAA. Oh, that's don't right. always don't always expect HIPAA to make sense. That's another thing I tell people often. Yeah. Uh, so there was certainly a bunch of lobbying when HIPAA was passed, and banks were one of the groups that uh, probably got some things that they wanted. So you don't have to have a business associate agreement with your bank just to cash checks that your clients write, even though you know. Their name is on it and that sort yes, of thing. That's true. I never even uh, thought of that. I was just thinking of, you know, which uh, using Square or, you know, that kind of stuff. But I never even realized banks would technically know who are, you know, who a lot of our clients are if they're writing checks, at least. 
Right, exactly. There are still some caveats in there. So Square has a number of extra features like invoicing and they now have even have a scheduling system. Mm -hmm. So if you start getting outside of that financial transaction and you now have Square storing scheduling information and things like that, you're now more in a, a HIPAA territory. But Square will also sign a business associate agreement now. So, Can you tell us a little bit more about business associate agreements? I, f- I feel like that's another thing that um, a lot of people have been asking questions on of who they need to be getting one for- from. You know, obviously things like Vertrue and EHRs typically, or at least therapy notes is what I use, you know, they have them. And um, I have it for yeah. a shredding company. That does mm-hmm. shredding, even though now I realize that if they do on-site shredding, it doesn't really matter, and mine does. But um, can you talk a little bit about that? Because I feel like that's where people get confused is who, who do I need to make sure that I'm getting one from? Yeah, so you need that with anybody who's uh, storing or seeing or transmitting any of your protected health information. Uh, so that could be if you use a, an ex, a third-party billing company. You know, they're filing insurance claims that you would need that with them. Obviously, your EHR vendors and your software vendors where protected health information, any information about your clients and the services you're rendering to them. What about uh, a cleaning, like if you have cleaning people come in that empty your garbage or clean, you know, vacuum your office space that could potentially yeah, so maybe see. It, again, it goes down to your risk analysis, that analysis of, hey, where is the protected health information stored? What are we doing to protect it? Uh, obviously, hopefully you're doing something to make sure there's none of that laying out yeah. when the cleaning crew comes through. Uh, but HIPAA does have rules regarding, you know, incidental exposure to the protected health information where you have to do an analysis of, hey, do, was this just incidental? Did the person actually uh, see enough information and retain that information? What are their intentions for that information? Sure. So if a cleaning person just happened to see a name uh, on a desk or something for some reason, and it, you know, they just went on about their business and you know, they're not doing anything with it. That, that's not as much of a threat as somebody who's actually physically trying to access okay. a bunch of that information to use for insurance fraud or something. What about, I guess I might be getting too, uh, technical and this is an issue that I have when it comes to my practices going to like one level deep, one level deeper and it's getting to a point where I, I become a black and white thinker. And I know I was like this with deciding whether I want employees or independent contractors. And it's, there's sure. gray area, but I have a hard time with gray. Um, is what if, what if the, I used to work at a group practice where the cleaning crew would come, you know, at seven or eight at night or I think eight at night. And I might still be in session with a client. So there's that the client is there still. So there might not mm-hmm. be, you know, paperwork out, but they might see the clients, you know, walk out of the office. I wouldn't call that a, a, a HIPAA issue too much other okay. than making sure that's an informed consent issue with your clients. Okay. Oh, that's right. Okay. Yeah. So when you're talking about, you know, there's the privacy and the security rule of, of HIPAA and the security rule has to do with the digital yes. data. So that's not really involved there. It's more the privacy rule. So I would just want to make sure that's part of informed consent with your clients. Hey, just so you know, if you're coming to one of my later appointments, you may run into the cleaning crew. Okay. Um, you know, they're they're not going to know their name, but who knows, you know, they may know some somebody on the cleaning crew. So they just making sure they're aware, you may run into somebody, that sort of thing. And I guess I'm going now deeper into some of the things that you were talking about 
But with regards to things like emails, I see this a ton. If a, if a client emails and you're just responding to, let's say, a scheduling, you know, scheduling an appointment via email, mm-hmm. does that, because I know a lot of people who aren't using things like Virtue or Hushmail or whatever else is out there right now, um, sure. that people are saying, well, you know, I don't talk about their, you know, diagnosis or treatment or anything else, but just for scheduling purposes, is are, are we sort of exempt in that sort of way? Because... We're not talking yeah, about private a, healthcare information, but we are also talking about an appointment, and it's not too hard to figure right. out what Urban Wellness, my company, does. Exactly. You just answered your own question. Okay. It's, a good, it's a good question. I hear it a lot. Yeah. But anything, the key is anything that connects a client to the provision of a healthcare service is protected health information. Okay. So what just the mail? fact that just the fact that they're getting this electronic communication that says you have an appointment with Maureen, uh, that okay, that is protected health information. You're in HIPAA territory. You need to have a plan for how you're dealing with that. Perfect. What about mail? Uh, like you're mailing you're talking statements. about snail mail? Yeah. Like mail. Yeah. Snail mailing a statement or a paid invoice yeah, so, or whatnot. So now you're outside of the security rule. We're not talking about digital information. Oh, so right. you don't have to worry about sending somebody a an invoice or a statement. Okay. I would certainly have that as part of informed consent if sure. you do invoices. Hey, we may occasionally send invoices, you know, make sure you give us an address uh, that you're okay with us sending the invoices to. Perfect. And then you what know, about if somebody testing? is in a, if somebody is in a domestic violence situation, for example, they might not want invoices sent to their home. Right. Uh, right. You were asking about texting. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's uh, the emailing and texting seems to be um, something that a lot of people are bring up. Yeah. So yeah, texting, same thing as email. You're in okay. you're in the HIPAA realm if you're talking uh, provision of services, even if it's just an appointment reminder, that sort of thing. The, the key is that, that HIPAA gives you latitude to do things that are reasonable. Mm-hmm. So if it was going to cost you $1,000 a month to have secure email and texting, you know, for a solo practitioner, that would be an unreasonable step to take. Uh, but the truth of the matter is it's very inexpensive to have secure encrypted uh, email and or texting. Uh, like I'm a big fan of uh, Signal and you can read, you know, I want to throw in a plug for my good friend and colleague, uh, Roy Huggins over yes. at Person Center Tech. Uh, he's got some excellent information uh, about HIPAA compliance on his site as well. I'm, I'm hoping someday he's working toward a, a workbook that will simplify HIPAA compliance for, for people, which isn't complete yet, but I think it's going to be awesome when it is. But he's oh, got yeah. some excellent articles on his site about things like Signal, uh, which is a secure texting app, which happens to be free. Yep, I have it. Uh, and so, you know, he's got some articles about, hey, what are the caveats? What do you need to make sure you're doing to make sure you really are complying with HIPAA and using this? So when there's this free app available for secure encrypted texting, uh, you don't really have a, a solid reason for not using it, or at least providing it as an option for your clients. Hey, just want you to know, Mr. or Mrs. Client, that, you know, texting is not secure. I can't promise who is or is not going to see that. I have this great secure app called Signal. If you install it, you know, we'll have be able to securely message each other. That's great. That's great to know. And I, I um, we use Signal in our practice as well. Um, but that's mm-hmm. something that I think, you know, I don't know if everyone knows about that. So I'm going to add that as well in the show notes in case anyone doesn't use secure texting. It's a good free option. 
And something else I should throw out there, HIPAA, much like most of our codes of ethics, are is big on client autonomy. Uh, so it grants clients the option to uh, for how their protected health information is handled. If they say, yes, I want you to send appointment reminders to my you know, unsecure email account, and I'm okay with that, then they have a right to receive that. Uh, now, HIPAA doesn't require that that's documented, but I certainly encourage people to document that, have them sign a, a, or check a box that says, yes, you can send me unsecure appointment reminders, that sort of thing. And certainly I would still set some boundaries. Like if they say, yes, I want you to send me my complete clinical record to my work email address, I would definitely have some qualms about that. Right. But, you know, the key is that clients do have some control and autonomy in how you send them information. That's awesome. Thank you for this. Was there Mm -hmm. anything else that I didn't ask that you wanted to bring up? Um... Well, that's a good question. Let's see. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I'm putting you on the spot. (laughs) Well, you know, we've talked about EHR and HIPAA, and they're both pretty big subjects. Yeah. Each one could, you know, I've done three-hour seminars on each one of those individually, so there's a lot of information there. I I think the key is for people to not operate out of fear. Yeah. You know, HIPAA, the great thing about HIPAA is that you – well, it's probably a challenge for you because you said you struggle with the gray, but I do. you know HIPAA does allow that that gray because your rules are going to be different somewhat than a hospital, which is a good thing. Yeah, you don't want to have to follow as stringent a set of uh, rules as a, as a hospital might. Uh, so the key is to not operate a fear to take things one thing at a time. You know, you don't have to have your whole HIPAA compliance picture done the minute you start it. You can take it one piece at a time. Uh, and work through it as you go. So uh, the key is to educate yourself, figure out what you need to do, and then and then take it on one piece at a time, examining each piece of technology you're, you're using. And, and it's not that difficult a process. Awesome. Can we end with you giving us a little bit of uh, information about how you help practice owners with regards to all of this um, with Tame Your Practice? In case anyone wants to reach out to you or, you know, wants to get some consultation with you, what is it that you do and how do you help people in that sense? Yeah, sure. So they can find me at TameYourPractice.com, of course. And um, you mentioned you were going to include links to the EHR reviews. That's one of the main ways that I've helped people is them just looking through the reviews and seeing, hey, which of these EHRs uh, feels like a good fit for me? Maybe it helps them narrow it down to two or three that they want to look at more closely uh, beyond that, you know, like I said, if people feel overwhelmed and need some additional help, uh, I have a service where I help people uh, identify which EHR is good for the practice. And it goes beyond that. I help with pretty much any software selection and choices uh, that are to help you decide, hey, what's going to help me get my practice to where I want and, and, and fit my practice really well. So I've talked with people about uh, how how should I handle my accounting and which you know apps should I use for secure email you know pretty much anywhere anything software related. Awesome. Okay, guys. So there and, you have and, it. All that information from Rob Reinhardt. And uh, if I can throw in one yep. more thing, that's totally non technology related. Uh, I always like to mention uh, one of my true uh, loves, which is Describe, which is a deck of cards with a number of activities that I also created, which is People get thrown when they find that I did it because it's not a technology thing. I saw that on the bottom of your email uh, signature. What is it? 
Describe is a, a deck of cards. There's about 104 cards in it, and there's over a dozen activities. Each card has an adjective. Uh, as well as some related questions. So you can just pull out a random card and ask a question of a client, but there's also a bunch of structured activities that come with it that you can use with individuals, groups, kids, adults. Oh, awesome. It's That's like my pride and joy because I developed that over about eight years in, in practice and then kickstarted it a couple of years ago, and it's been really popular. So I'm really proud of that. I'll definitely add that uh, in the show notes as well in case anyone's interested in it. Thank you. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for doing this episode with me. I think they'll find a lot of value in it. Yeah, I enjoyed it. I appreciate you having me on. I always love to talk about this stuff. It's it's kind of the way I, this is my give back. You know, like I said, that's how I started Tame Your Practice. This is one way I can give back to the community is share that technology. Yeah. uh, Knowledge that I've accumulated over the years. Yeah. And it's, it definitely is super valuable. Like I said, I, would have had a much harder time deciding which EHR I should use and half of them I didn't even know about because at least when I I took therapy notes four years ago Mm -hmm. yeah and at that time there was not as many options as there is now and if there were they were not easily googleable because um, I was googling EHRs and um, not many things were showing up and so it was really nice having uh, your website up there because it helped me, you know, see what's out there that might not be so easily searchable. So, yeah, great. Yeah, I can think of at least a half a dozen off the top of my head that have launched since that year. So, yeah, yeah, it just keeps growing. It does. So, thank you so much for doing this. Oh, thanks for having me, Maureen. All right, we'll talk to you later. Thanks for tuning in. 